This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Youth Leadership Platform. And you are with your host, Bongani Tao at Simply Bongani across all social media. We are very excited, uh, this being our first episode for the year uh, 2018. And I have some wonderful guests. We speaking dynamic leadership um, in moving society. And as per usual, I'll, I'll start with introducing my guests and we'll take it from there. So to my left, I've got the wonderful from Gibbs and lovely Fazlin. And to my right, or directly in front of me, if you, if you may, I've got another lovely and you know, she's got a beautiful big smile. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Lulega. So guys, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming through. Um, kindly introduce yourselves to uh, the Youth Leadership Platform uh, listeners. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm Fazlan Taufi. Yes. I always introduce myself like this and I get flack for it. But I'm a failed entrepreneur and it's a bad badge I wear very proudly. Okay. So people often ask, why do you introduce yourself like that? Because sure. there's positives after all of the negative, uh, after all of the gunk. So the reason I work at the Gibbs Enterprise Development Academy, Entrepreneurship Development Academy, sorry, is because... My mission in this world is to allow more entrepreneurs to fail okay. so that it's not a bad thing, but to fail from that, uh, to learn from that failure. Yes. So first day back at the office um, <laughs> for 2018, my kind of mantra is keep celebrating the failure so that you can celebrate the success. Sure. And that's essentially what I'd like to chat with, with you guys about alongside Luleka awesome. today. Awesome, awesomeness. Um, Luleka. Thank you very much, Bongani, uh, for having me here. Yes. I'm, I'm very honored to be here. Um, my name is Lulega, and I like to introduce myself by saying that I am a rural girl. Okay. I am from a community called Gopa in the Eastern Cape, which is between Flagstaff and Pizana. Okay. I was lucky to have parents who had a home in Durban uh, where we could go to and then study there for university. Mm-hmm. And then I got employed by a mining company in Durban. Yes. Relocated to Johannesburg after a few years where I stayed here for about three years. And then I enrolled on the Gibbs Social Entrepreneurship Program. Yeah. And then that program sort of gave me the push I needed. So it was, it was a launch pad. It um, was a launch pad. Okay. Yes. So, so let, let, let's get it a bit into your lives uh, before we get into, you know, the nitty gritties of today's conversation. So Faz, you, you spoke very little about uh, your background and the journey leading up to you playing this role at Gibbs. So kindly take us through that. Ah, so very colorful journey. Like Luleka, I worked in mining. Uh-huh. I was seconded to go and live and work in West Africa in Guinea, Gee. a country I'd never heard of before. Uh-huh. But being the entrepreneur with mm. big girl panties on, <laughs> I took on the opportunity. Sure. Um, had the most amazing experience. So this was as an entrepreneur. My business was called Chili and Lime. I was doing amazing work in community development, um, communications, um, Allowing corporates to take their kind of marketing spend yes. and use it in more of a conscious way okay. while still getting the, the, the traction, sure. the marketing spend traction kind sure. of thing. But doing good while doing that. I didn't realize there's a term for that and that's called social entrepreneurship. Okay. So I was in Guinea for a year, did this work, um, learned the hardest and the, the best decision, um, lessons in my life. And then I came back and SARS knocked on my door. And that was the first time in my life as a young entrepreneur, I realized, oh, you pay taxes. <laughs> so we were shut down. 
So we were unceremoniously shut down and I needed to find a job. And I, I'd started my career at Gibbs. I worked in the company specific program many years ago. Yes. So I went back home and I said, look, I failed as an entrepreneur. Can I have a job? Yeah. And they offered me a job and it was in a department where we were supporting entrepreneurs. At the time, it was only social entrepreneurs. Okay. Today we've grown to supporting commercial, um, social through um, sponsorships through paid programs, etc. Yeah. But that was my f- first insight into what you should know that you don't know. Mm. Okay. Um, and that was kind of where the entrepreneurial kind of journey ended, but didn't die. Yes. So then I realized that I needed to surround myself around those who know and those who know that they don't know, but we kind of gathering information. Sure. So worked at Gibbs, went on to start my uh, my next own business again. And at the time, I was running three businesses. One was a um, organizing business. The other one was an app, um, social entrepreneurship app. Failed again, but this time I failed better. Okay. And I didn't fail as expensively as the first time. But the lessons I learned, and I I I, I documented them. I don't. Um, Journal, unfortunately, or else could have probably sold it for a bit of money. Um, <laughs> but the lessons I learned. going to come up fun- in a book, though. I hope uh, so. Yeah. I hope so. Multi-million rand <laughs> best-selling author um, labels. But then I went off on my own again. Um, started an organization, an NGO that supports youth entrepreneurs. Yes. Um, I worked at an organization that supports youth entre- entrepreneurs in school. But then realized that teachers were saying, "Do you want to pass math, or do you want to be an entrepreneur?" Like it was a bad thing. Like mm. it was a swear word. Mm-hmm. Um, we then, um, friends of mine and I, started an organization to support youth entrepreneurs, but n- not co- not making it a bad thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Making it an exemplary kind of career. Sure. Nobody saw it as a career. They saw it as, oh, it's a synonym for unemployed <laughs> or self-employed was, yeah, yeah. It, it was that kind of seen in that vein. Hmm. Um, so then enter the Gibbs um, Entrepreneurship Development Academy. Um, what we do is supporting entrepreneurs across various different life stages in their business, the mainstream, the commercial and the social entrepreneurs. Okay. But we being a business school, we educate, we, we support them through education. Yes. And that was why I came here because it was the education around that I need to pay tax. It was the education around that I need mm. to have financial systems in place that I lacked in my business. From the lessons that you learned the hard or way. D- the hard as way. As an entrepreneur. The hard uh. way. Lulega? So, yeah. Um, my journey started, as I said, that Gibbs gave me the push uh, okay. that I needed. Um, coming but, from a rural community. But, but prior to that, um, prior to coming up with the idea that ended up winning you the prize money that you won, that we're going to get into in the conversation, we want to know About what learning. happened <laughs> before so, then. What happened before then is uh, coming from a rural community. Yes. Uh, you only see a computer... When you go to varsity. So there's no resources. Uh, yeah, you, you go to varsity, you exposed to all these resources that you do not know how to use mm-hmm. and everyone expects you to know everything. Sure. Then your confidence levels become so short because you feel like, okay, I don't know. What am I going to contribute here? So mm-hmm. you're so intimidated by everyone around you. So then growing up in that environment, then I started working for the mining company. But in the mining company, then I kept being the nega employee who's always telling the, the, the bosses that, you know what, rural communities need help. Yeah. We need to do A, B, and C for rural communities. And I was lucky that for the company that I worked for, my bosses were would be open into some of the ideas that I would suggest. Mm-hmm. So I started uh, doing 
being in procurement, but doing programs that were not in my job scope. Okay. Programs that would uplift communities. But then still with the programs, I was still very charity driven programs, that they were not programs where I could leave people and they can be sustainable programs. Let me, let me interrupt you just, just there. I want to get into, you know, a lot of people, we, especially from black, uh, Prior pre-disadvantaged uh, communities, people just want to fend for themselves and just leave um, that disadvantageous background and never look back. So, what inspired you to say? I actually want to help. So what inspired me is that uh, coming from that community, my mom wanted to send us into sorts of semi-private schools, mm-hmm. but she couldn't afford to pay for us in those schools. So she would have to go and look for money because she had she didn't have credit from banks to get loans mm-hmm. because her credit record was so horrible. So she had to go to our aunts and uncles and at times go to our community. Okay. So our community would have their children going to rural schools where there's nothing but they would still contribute money to my mom wow. to send us to schools in semi-private schools wow. in Durban. So that then, I, th- I think for me, sort of put a seed in me that said, you know, I want to grow up and I actually want to do something for my community. Ubuntu. I want to bring back something yeah. to my community. Yeah. Yes. The spirit of The of spirit Ubuntu. of Ubuntu, yes. So continue from, from where you left off. You, you started with a lot of charity organizations. Yes, and, and, doing charitable and work, but inside the mining company. Okay. Doing a lot of uh, going, but every time I was on leave, I would go home and then it, at home, I would tell, I think also my family, Shema, I felt sorry for them <laughs> because I'm always doing all this work and they always have to come along with me yeah. and help me uh, uh, while doing it. So I started doing these things, but still it was like change is not coming. Because I was not knowledgeable enough to drive change that's going to be sustainable. Sure. So then I went into the social entrepreneurship program at Gibbs. Yes. And then the program, I think, is the one that sort of educated me that in doing initiatives, I need to launch initiatives that can actually drive transformation. But at the same time, communities must also uh, embrace the, the solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they must know that the solution is their solution. Okay. They must run the initiatives and it must be sustainable enough that we're not a charity case that we can drive our own change but also try and make money out of the the initiative that we're doing Mm. so then in 2016 after I finished my Gibbs program that's when then I made the decision to resign from the mining company and focus on running the programs themselves that I do in rural communities Mm. so we'll get into the festival itself let's let's get a bit of of a background and an understanding of how did this um, festival come about Um, what brought about the idea and what purpose does it serve? So social entrepreneurship is still a really unknown concept in South Africa. Okay. Because, and Ruleka, sorry, um, touched on this. It's, am I a charity or am I, am I making money? Yeah. And people see it as two very opposite ends of the pole and almost um, enemies of each other. And we then realized, and that's why the start of the social entrepreneurship program, for example, you can do good while still making money. Okay. You can drive the BMO or the whatever car you aspire to driving, and you can still be doing paying back your community in the way that Luleka is. Yes. And there's nothing wrong with that. So that was the starting point for, for Gibbs, is to create the SEP, um, the social entrepreneurship program. But then we realized that a lot of older people who've been exposed to it for a little longer are becoming social entrepreneurs and are forgiving themselves for being social entrepreneurs. Mm. Younger people don't know the concept. Younger people aren't uh, aspiring to becoming social entrepreneurs because they don't know it. Yeah. They know lawyer, teacher, doctor kind of as a career. True. So we then realized that there needs to be something that inspires the 
the creation of ideas, the support of ideas, and festival ideas was created. Hmm. So it happens every year around Global Entrepreneurship Week, which is in November. But leading up to that, we do applications. And it's not, we don't want to bog people down with paper. Hmm. So it's a voice note or a video kind of interview or, or oh, okay. application. And you tell us what your idea is. Most of the ideas are not Fully baked cakes Yes But that's the idea Of the festival And Luleka can contest To that Or or, um, Confirm (laughs) Sorry (laughs) Contest Um, That Through the process Even just your Putting that idea On a video Or a voice note Starts having you Work through your idea Yourself And then you go So who am I going To supply this to Yes Why For how much money Yes I need to live um, I need to get to Durban and Eastern Cape, for example. Yeah. And th- then once you're selected, the process then walks you through workshops on how you're going to make this a reality. Yeah. Hmm. There's no point in just having a festival and just having an idea yeah. and just winning 55,000 rand. But you need to make that a reality. Mm-hmm. Or you need to take that money and seed it into the idea that you've already started. Hmm. And that's how the festival ideas. So w- when do registrations start and how do um, young entrepreneurs get into the program or apply? So the call goes out around September. Okay. The call goes out around the 1st of September. This year it was the 1st of September. Um, and it goes out to most kind of my job at Gibbs is marketing. So my job is to go out and talk about what it is that we're currently doing, okay. um, what's exciting for the young people. So obviously it, it goes out in ways that are exciting to the young person. Mm-hmm. Social media, um, radio shows like this one mm-hmm. that speak to young people. Yes. Um, and it tells them exactly what it is that they'll need to um, have to apply. So have you got an idea? You yes. can't come there with no ideas. Yeah. The festival of ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it walks you through the sense of we'll, we'll workshop that idea so it becomes an actual thing mm-hmm. okay. that you can put a name to and say that is my legacy. Um, so around the 1st of October uh, of September, we start that process, the open call. From about the 1st of October, we do interviews. So it's not necessarily physical mm-hmm. interviews with you. There are people who come to us from various other provinces in the country, mm. and we just want to get a sense of why do you want to do this. Yes. There's no point in giving the 55000 mm. to somebody who just laid in bed and was bored. Yeah. Mm. But are you going to be continue yeah. to be inspired mm. to make this social entrepreneurship venture happen? Hmm. And yes, it's going to fail, probably, mm. yeah. or it's yeah. going to be massively successful, probably, mm. yeah. but you need to know that within you, you've got what it takes. And then... From about the 1st of November, we start with the workshops. This was um, 2017 timeline, but mm. it's about the same every year because we want to coincide it with Global Entrepreneurship Week mm. where all of South Africa, all of the world is looking at how are we going to support entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, and then from about the 1st of November, we have the workshops where every the shortlisted 50 come. And this year we had about 400 applications. We shortlist that to 50 and they come and they workshop and that's when they start meeting each other. Mm-hmm. So Luleka speaks often and I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth <laughs> about the network. As yeah. a social entrepreneur, even as an entrepreneur, it's yes. a lonely, lonely, mm. lonely journey. Mm. You are on your ace. Mm. So when you get to that workshop with 49 other people like you, mm. you are on your ace in this community of people. Mm. Yes. Um, and then you do the festival. The festival mm. happens during that week of Global Entrepreneurship Week. So it's around the 14th, 15th and you pitch. So the this is a nerve-wracking yeah. process, <laughs> but I'm not going to say just how nerve-wracking. <laughs> but you pitch to people who have heard and seen it all. These are yeah. people who've worked as social entrepreneurs in the social entrepreneurship space, um, and they want to know why I should give my 55000 to, to you. you. Mm-hmm. And those who succeed like Luleka get to the top and get that prize money. I, I wanted you to tell us about uh, the winning idea, what, what 
you know, what, what are the makings of a winning idea? But before then, Lulega, what, what idea then was born <laughs> in your mind that took you all the way to the finals and more than anything, winning the entire competition and, you know, going further to, to, to serve your community the way you do? So I think I started in 2015. I started uh, engaging with my communities. I currently uh, work with three uh, communities in the Eastern Cape. So from 2015, I started meeting with the chiefs and the community leaders, Mm -hmm. meeting with the youth and the older people from communities, and then also uh, uh, talking to the schools and the school principals. Then what came out, one of the biggest things that came out was how our communities are not um, benefiting from technology whatsoever because of the lack of the infrastructure. Sure. So then my idea then was what can we do then? How can we actually bring in technology to help us with some of the uh, uh, challenges that we're having in the community? And what I realized was that in Johannesburg, uh, there's a lot of buzz around mobile businesses. And with this mobile businesses, because our biggest problem was that we couldn't put resources in schools because our infrastructure in schools, there's no security. So if you are, if you go to uh, finders or sponsors or companies and ask them maybe we need computers or we need this, they'll tell you if there's no security, we can't put anything in there because it's going to disappear within a week. Okay. So then with this mobile buzz, then I was like, oh, actually, maybe we can use the mobile concept into driving something like co- uh, uh, computer mobile classes. Okay. Then we can use the computer mobile classes to uh, assist people into going into online and then applying for online courses, looking for bursaries, mm. finding jobs online, connecting through social media mm. and sort of putting their profiles out there for the mm. world to see. Because our biggest thing is that we're so isolated from the rest of the world True. that no one knows that we exist We exist in our little corner. Sure. So then I started then, I wanted then to uh, pilot this idea. So I Again, approached our, our, our rural leaders and told them that this is what I think we should try out. And they were very excited. So they were saying, yes, we want you to try it out. I approached the Department of Education and I said, okay, this is the idea I have. Can you give me authorization to pilot it in your schools? Then the department said, yes, you can go to the schools. So then I spoke to the school principals and the school principals said, come. So in piloting the idea, I wanted to pilot it for the, for, for the uh, students. But then when I started it, then the school principal said, well, the teachers also want to come into your classes because they also want to learn. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, but I don't think they're going to want to sit in the class with the students. And the principals said, no, they, they actually want to sit with the students because they want to learn. So then now what happens is that you'll, have, you'll find a student and a teacher sitting on the desk helping each other out while I'm running the class. Mm. And then the community uh, youth and the uh, like unemployed graduates and the older people said, okay, but why don't you do a separate group? Because us as the community also want to be part of the program. Yes. So can we also have a class that that is made up of the people from the community? Sure. So then now what I do, then I create a group from the community. Then I create a group that is students with teachers. Hmm. So when I'm right, running the program in a community, I'll probably maybe have three classes um, that have time slots uh, within the groups okay. uh, for like the week. Then that's how I started uh, piloting the idea and then other schools heard of what I'm doing then other schools now uh, uh, want me to come to their communities and, and to run the program. Mm. But what's exciting now, uh, I was just telling Faslin that now I've also been uh, uh, invited by the Department of Health because they've said can you come and please uh, uh, 
teach our, our employees. So in the past week, I was teaching uh, some of the kitchen employees what? and nurses and matrons and, and nursing managers yeah. how to actually use computers because they've got computers, but their people don't know how to use the computers. So they're saying they, they find it less intimidating if the person comes into their environment mm. and runs the classes from there. And I mean, we're moving into a digital age. Uh, yes. Clip Central itself is an online um, platform, based yeah. platform, and a lot of the yes. youth from those <laughs> yes. areas do not have left access behind. Yeah. and it's do not have, they, they lack the skill and the information that, that is needed, Yeah, which is a very fascinating concept and mm. idea. So tell us one story of someone that, you know, through everything that you've done with this program, you've seen them move from where they were to a better place. So where they were to a better place. So, okay, uh, the program I run it for, for grade sevens, from okay. grade sevens. So grade okay. sevens, eights and nines. And then I run it for teachers. And then now I started with the Department of Health. So for students, what I would say is nice with the students is that when I go, cause students normally in rural communities don't have mentors. Okay. So now with the programs, then I'm sort of incorporating that mentorship a space within the program that when I run it, then uh, students, I give them that thing that, okay, if you want to have a mentor, then please come to me and then I'll allocate you someone sure. that is a mentor. So now we've got uh, one of the, the last school I did last year, uh, we had a student who's the top math student in the district okay. uh, uh, of uh, Alfredo. Yes. So being the top student, he doesn't have any type of guidance as to, okay, now I'm the top student, but how am I going to move forward here? And yes. that's what happens that a student's no matter how intelligent they are, they're going to they pass, and then, then nothing's going to happen because there's no yes. guidance or mentorship whatsoever. They fall through the cracks. They fall through the cracks. So now what's happened with the student, I've been able to link him uh, to uh, someone who works here in Johannesburg at Telcom okay. to sort of uh, the guys in Togozisi. Yes. He's uh, mentoring the student and he's sort of holding the student by the hand and mm. he's going to lead the mm. students as to what subjects do you need because one of the biggest problems and students are always uh, asking me, so miss, if I, if I want to to uh, do a, be a pilot. Yeah. What subjects do I need to take? Sure. Because no one is advising us in schools that this is career. This is how it, the career that you want to take. These are the, the subjects that you need you to need take. To, so to now learn, yeah. I've sort of pulled people on board there that we need you to come and help us with career guidance. Sure. That students know which subjects to take. So from the program, I think a student, I've been able to advise students on career guidance subjects that they must take, and I'm able to link students with mentorship with people. And how do students? Access um, your your program. So currently, uh, the people access it through principals because in the Eastern Cape we don't have online platforms. Okay. Currently, my computers are the uh, how what we're gonna use to sort of link with other people. Okay. But what happens is when I go to the school, and also because I've got a relationship with the Department of Education. Yes. So uh, when I go to the school, the school will sort of uh, word of mouth program tell another school that okay. okay she's ran the program. But also what I do is I do reports after each and every program that I've done. I'll do a report. I'll send it to the director of the Department of Education. So okay. he knows what's happened in that program So those reports then get circulated as well And they go to other schools hmm. Faz, what are the makings of a winning idea? Maybe I can ask the, the, the question better What are some challenges that the youth of South Africa is facing That we need social entrepreneurs to address? So um, very recently we realized that green is becoming so green um, economy is becoming a really big thing. Things like the water shortage in Cape Town or, yes. or globally, but we see it 
pronounced in Cape Town. Um, the fact that agriculture is not sexy anymore mm. for anybody, but especially not the young people. So, for example, this year or last year, 2017's competition was focused on social and green. Sure. Because we want to get um, young people conscious again about what's important. Okay. That's important. But issues like education, healthcare are still very important issues for a social entrepreneur, especially a young social entrepreneur. Mm. Every issue that you grapple with, so whether it's um, the guy um, Wululeka was just speaking about now who doesn't know what he's going to do with these excellent math results, mm. that's career guidance. That's an important social entrepreneurship kind of aspect. The fact that Luleka teaches uh, courses in the local language of that community that yes. she works in, that speaks to language and culture and um Ubuntu and belonging, that's an important social entrepreneurship aspect. So nothing is too big or too small or too narrow or too broad um, to be a good social entrepreneurship as, um, uh, topic to, to, to focus on. Mm-hmm. My suggestion would be to anybody who's interested in, in um, applying is what are you passionate about? Yeah. You could be passionate about water, but that's not sexy right now, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to do water. Whatever you are passionate about, you can make sexy or appealing. Mm-hmm. Um, you, can, you can run that because it's like what Luleka's yeah. now tasked to do. Take that winnings and do something with it. If you're not passionate about it, you're not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to chill. Mm. Key leadership advice from... from both your lessons, you know, mm-hmm. from running a, a community project and from running businesses that failed, like you said. Why do you smile when you say? No, I think it, it, it's 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 one of the misconceptions that uh, we need to address. Mm-hmm. That a lot of the guys that make it are the guys that fail more than the yeah. others. Mm-hmm. You know, the, there's there's a saying that that goes: the master has failed more times than the beginner yes. is willing to try. Um, so, what 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 are the key lessons that you've learned from those experiences and, and, and from yourself, Lulega, as well? Mine is be that dynamic leader. So mm. no failure must be the same as, oh, I failed here the last mm. time as well. Mm. No. Then you're a failure and you're going to remain a failure. Mm. So be dynamic, be innovative, be know what you don't know and then mm. seek that out. Um, my standard five teacher said, he who knows not and knows not he knows not is a fool. Leave him. Mm. <laughs> and that's what I've learned. That's, that's very powerful. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. I think for me as well, uh, two things. Uh, one is, as Fazli has said, that you must be uh, open to rejection. Okay. Don't take rejection too badly. Don't take it personally. So sometimes the people that reject you just don't get your idea at that time. Mm. Or maybe it's not relevant mm. at that time. So as Fazlin says, take the idea, even if you've gotten the rejection, work or rework the idea if you have to rework the idea. Mm. And if it's not a great idea, it's okay to say, yes, I understand it's not going to work. I need to go back to, to, to the base and start from scratch. Mm. So you'd be open to rejection. Don't take it personally. Mm. The second one, I would say engage. Okay. Engagement is so important. So for me with communities, I've had to engage with so many people because I've wanted the solution to come from the communities. Okay. It, I didn't want it to be my solution, but I wanted it to be their solution. Sure. So as part of civil society, I'll say, you have to engage with government. Mm. I have to talk to the Department of Education. I have to talk to the schools. And then also... I have to talk to private sector because mm. we don't have that much money. We need private sector to help us with the initiatives that we're doing. So know that you're going to talk to a lot of people sure. and also a lot of diverse people. So be open into talking to the different people because we don't know who's going to come alongside and say, I want to help you. Mm. So be willing to be open-minded as to that someone from anywhere really mm. is the person that can help you. Well, thank you very much uh, for coming through and 
spending time with uh, the U Leadership Platform. I think a conversation like this is a conversation we can keep having over time. But this will conclude our first part of um, you know, social entrepreneurship and how we can leverage on dynamic leadership to solve problems within our societies, you know, as part of the Youth Leadership Platform. So to our listeners, um, you can stay tuned for uh, the next, which is uh, part two. Um, on our podcast front um, on the Youth Leadership Platform on Cliff Central. It's YLP Cliff Central on Twitter and Instagram and Youth Leadership Platform on Facebook. If you've been listening to Cliff Central, um, you'd know that it's the youth leadership platform time. And this is part two of leveraging on dynamic leadership and social entrepreneurship, really, to help um, change uh, the perception of society about the problems that we have and help society as well um, try and figure out and configure ways and solutions to solve some of um, the biggest problems that we have. And for this part of the conversation, I'm joined by two dynamic leaders again, which is Obabu uh, Pumlani uh, as well as Anele. And I'm going to have them introduce themselves um, right away. And <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you for having us on your show, Bungani. Thank you very much. Um, should I start? Yeah. You, okay. You, you may go ahead. But I, I'd love Obabu uh, Pumlani to say something uh, before we go any Anyway, <laughs> no, thank you for having me. It's ah, all right, cool. You you might want to speak up uh, a bit there, all right, all right. just so the pro- uh, the projection is is speak and span. Okay. <laughs> um, cool. So on my side, my name is Anilim Kuzomahape. Sure. And um, I run a company called the African Entrepreneurship Initiative. Yes. Um, which uh, we started in 2016 on the first of July. Um, so we've been running now just over a year. Um, and our main focus is it's a entrepreneurship development company, okay. but with a f- specific focus on youth owned enterprises in okay. townships and peri urban areas. Yeah. So, so let's define youth. What would youth mean in this context? So youth in terms of, uh, triple B codes would be 18 to 35. Okay. So that's our main focus and, um, black owned, um, companies. Okay. Yeah. Primarily or that's that 51% per- Black owned at least. Okay, yes. cool. All right. And yourself? Okay, my, as you said, my name is Pumlani. Um, I run a company called Beehive Capital. Yes. Um, we do enterprise and supply development. Uh, our payoff line is a development that changes lives. So we design enterprise programs for corporates and, and, the, and the public sector. And we always say we just want to do programs that develop people, keep on teaching and teaching without any results being seen. So we're very mindful of uh, what the programs we take the, the people through and we want to see results at the end of it, uh, of the programs. Yeah. You've been in the, in the industry for, for quite some time now, uh, looking at some of the specs, doing my own research. It stretches back to <laughs> the, the, the late nineties and, You've kind of worked your your way to where you are right now. What are what are some of the highlights of your journey uh, culminating to where you are right now with Beehive Capital? I think some of our colleagues that have spoken have kind of highlighted. I think we live in a society where 
uh, we have this extreme makeover thing where we want instant things. Okay. So we have this thing that we believe we should have instant leadership, but leadership is not instant. It's a progress that you go through life. Hmm. And further to that, I always say, um, if we, we're constantly looking for extreme makeover, the next big thing, uh, we will not identify a leader because leaders come over a period of time. Hmm. So you need to see what people have done in the yes. past. Uh, I like my colleague, she says she's failed a few times, but sure. she failed going forwards. And, and, and the process of failing you makes you a better leader. And I kind of have gone through the process where I came from a banking environment. I thought I knew everything. So I jumped across <laughs> the road yeah. and uh, I put proposals together. And, and it's such a weird feeling. Um, people sitting across the table that used to be a colleague telling you, no, we can't find you for X, Y reasons. But guys, sure. I, was, I know everything. So it's, it's been that journey uh, that I've gone through that hopefully um, I can use to impart to to the next generation of leaders and and for you Anele what 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 inspired opening starting an initiative like this and trying to help entrepreneurs to begin off with entrepreneurship is still a taboo yeah. in a lot of communities yeah. like yeah. it's something that one percent of the world have has gotten right and conversations amongst them as well. Yeah. So uh, I think for me, what inspired me, I actually used to work at Give uh, for the Enterprise Development Academy. Yes. Um, so I was designing programs for entrepreneurs, and that's how actually I met Pumlani as well. Okay. Um, so they, they do great work. But I think for me, my personal focus had to be youth. Um, it, it made sense for me at the time because we have the biggest youth unemployment rate, and not everyone's going to find a job. Mm. But they may be able to start a business and sustain a business. And I think in, in, we take it lightly that we say in townships, you know, there's no entrepreneurs. Most people in townships have grown up with their parents with spaza shops, with, you know, there is, there's enterprising happening in, in those areas, but we haven't taught people how to sustain and grow those enterprises, how to really own their own value system. Yeah. Because you'll find that in, in Soweto, um, at and pay will come in Why are people not owning their own supply Their values chain You know, mm. So it's those things for me that were important But also to understand that um, When running these programs Language becomes a barrier sure. So f- it's important for us to have uh, Multilingual facilitators That facilitate so that If you decide you want to present Your, your presentation in Zulu or Tswana You can do that You know, you don't feel now you are less of a person Because now you can't speak English well mm. And I think it's things like that that give people their dignity and they become confident. Like if I can speak it in my own language, then I know what I'm talking about and, and doesn't feel like now I'm a struggle with English. So it was all those things and that made me want to start it, you know, and, mm. and, and see other youth businesses grow mm. and, and that in the future they'll be employing people. Talking about uh, people owning their own value um, systems with, within their own communities, thinking about in, in a lot of township situ- uh, situations right now, there's a lot of like Ethiopians and other foreign nationals that have come in and they've got this big business model that benefits them. Um, Allegedly, on a, any given day, they make about 15k yeah. from 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 those shops. Yeah. So you can think about how much they make a month and a year, and they don't employ a lot of people as well. And you think about the the whole system as well of them combined in all these different townships, and, and how many of their stores are yeah. there in yeah. one particular township? How much money are they making, and why are black people not Leveraging on that, on that and 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 building on that and owning that yeah. and making that money to develop the areas mm-hmm. themselves. 
It's 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 a very yeah. it's a so very moving I think, subject. Yeah. So I think for me personally, I always say that if you can go to another country, sure, where you don't speak the language, you don't know anyone, and make a success of a business, then you deserve that market. And I think for us as black people, we need to start saying, what can I learn from these communities? Because sure. the one big thing that they do well is collaboration. So what they'll do when they get to uh, any township or whatever, they'll find out who else is there. They'll collaborate so that they, when they buy, they buy in groups and then they can get discounts, which is why then their products might be cheaper than the next person. Sure. So it's things like that where we need to stop fighting a competitor and realize that there's something that they're doing better than you, then how can I learn from that and do it better? Because mm. this is your playground, but you're failing at it. How do we learn then and teach each other to do the same, if not better? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Can I just touch on yeah, that? I mean, sure. it's, I'm glad you brought that point up because the last sure. two programs we ran, we actually ran with puzzle shops, um, one in Freedom Park and, and, and the other one in, 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 Ivory, in Ivory Park. And one of the things that you've learned, uh, which she highlights is that uh, the, normally the people emigrate, uh, normally the, the entrepreneurial people that come through sure. uh, and they're able to succeed. And what you also learn when you travel, I mean, I was privileged to go to London and I discovered all the fish and chips shops are run by either Chinese or run by the Indians exclusively. Really? exclusively. So this, the challenges we have is not uniquely South African. Sure. It's a challenge that we have on a global basis. Hmm. But more importantly, when she talks about collaboration and understanding the value chain, I'll just give an example when we do the sessions in the township that uh, the airtime industry, the prepaid airtime industry is like 6 billion rand a month Wow. Business. So I sit with the enterpriser and I say, how many of you make 10,000 rand profit out of the airtime industry uh, amongst all sellers? And none of them make that kind of money. Huh. And the trick there is actually understand how does the airtime industry work? And often we normally stand back and say, we criticize people, how do they make so much money? And we don't take the time to actually understand what the value chain is about. Sure. The minute you do that, then you start understanding uh, what the issues are. And one of the, my, my pit not pet hates of the work that we do at Gibbs <laughs> is that we have entrepreneurs who, who, who are entrepreneurs by default. Uh, they come across a great opportunity and they don't do any work in terms of research and understanding the industry. And they sure. fall on a good, on a good weekend. But when the hard times come, they can't adapt and start understanding what the business is all about. So one of the key things we try and teach the entrepreneurs who work with is that who understand the value chain as much as you can to the nth degree because the dynamics change all the time and they change regularly. So you need to have a, what are some of the things that, or principles that entrepreneurs need to understand about, uh, morphing with, with, with your business? Because when you are a startup and you always treat your business as a startup, it will always be a setup. Yeah, but for it to change, there's certain things that, that need to come into place. We look at, Vod um, Nokia actually at some point of all the phones that were sold in any particular year, 60% were Nokia phones that were sold. Two years later, only 2% of the market they, 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 they owned. That fall, that change. A lot of entrepreneurs do not understand that. So enlighten us. Um, so I think the first uh, uh, kind of mistake entrepreneurs make or startups is that I'm, I've got a great technical skill. For example, you created radio and whatever, and you decide, okay, I'm going to go open a radio station. Sure. Running a business is a totally different thing. You know, you have a technical skill, but you need to have a business skill. Sure. You know, there's, there's, there's marketing, there's sales, there's all these things that you don't probably don't know of. So those are the things you need to educate yourself around. Mm. You need to understand the market. Are you actually solving a problem or is it just something that's a fad and then in two years time it's going to be gone? It's going to be gone. You, you know, or there won't be a need for or it. There won't be a need. So if you really have 
a good understanding of the problem you're solving, you're more likely to be sustainable because when, when things shift and change, it's still a requirement. It's still a problem that's there that requires to be solved. Mm. So I think it's, it's those things that, um, startups must be very cognizant of, but also they need to be curious and find out everything. Like learn, read, um, find out what other people are doing in different countries. You find sometimes ideas aren't new to you. Sure. There's probably somebody who's doing it somewhere else. Find out how they're doing it in that market. You know, how can I implement? How can I change? What do I need to put in place? So it, you have to want to know more and do more and talk to other people, collaborate. Mm-hmm. People think, oh, someone's going to steal my idea. Your idea is really not that new <laughs> it's it really isn't like you, sure. you're not you're not reinventing the wheel so talk to people collaborate um ask ask around um start things and 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 network so it, it those things will take you really far so so so, so one of the programs that uh gives does on on, on, the, on the entrepreneurial space is about knowing yourself must i think it's called mastering yourself mm-hmm. and i think it's probably one of the three out of three most important skills that you need, you need to know who you are. And like, like she said, just because you're a great radio person, you're a great business person. Sure. And when you get to that level, then you're able to get people with the skills. For example, entrepreneurs, they want to be accountants and accountants, one of the, I mean, we see it all the time. It's a very difficult thing to do. Just know that you're not a numbers person and you need someone to help you through the sales process, through doing all the business and that kind of stuff. And when you do that, you actually free yourself to do other things. And I think, because entrepreneurs, they have this uh, drive. They think they can do everything, and yet you can't do <laughs> yeah. everything by yourself. You yeah. Can. Which brings my next point about mentorship. I mean, people have walked the journey before. Many, many, many people. Sure. So why try and reinvent the wheel and have scars and lose a lot of blood? Just go to people who have gone through the process and get mentors to help you through the process. And again, entrepreneurs always think they know it all. Mm. They shy away from getting entrepreneurs. And we encourage people to get em- entrepreneurs because you, you, you actually quicken the pace of learning because sure. you're someone who's gone through the process three, four times. And they'll tell you, if you go this route, you're going to come short. Why do you want to keep going through that route? You know? You're going to burn out. Mm. Exactly. And you you're gonna get burnt, and then you just you're just gonna you're just gonna give up. Yeah. What what are the makings of of an ideal entrepreneur? Because everyone these days, you know, seemingly now thinks, I don't want to be in school. I do, you ha- you hear people talking about I don't want to be part of the system, <laughs> so I want to start my own business and and get into entrepreneurship. What are the makings of an ideal entrepreneur or an entrepreneur? I'm going to say something that's very controversial. Sure. Entrepreneurship is hard. Yeah. I'm not discouraging people. Entrepreneurship is hard. And I think some of it falls on us who kind of done well. We don't sit back and tell the people. (laughs) (laughs) No one talks about the cars they've lost or the relation that they've broken, but entrepreneurship is hard. But having said that. Houses that have been repossessed. Exactly. But having said that, I think, uh, once you've decided you want to go through that route, you gotta say, I'm gonna have a thick skin about it. And rejection is a constant thing. You get rejected by your friends. You get rejected by the banks and everyone around you rejects you. And and it's so easy to, to fall off the cliff and say, you know, I'm giving up on the idea just when you're about to think. So again, that's it, the time that you need mentors around you. People who say, listen, I think you're on a great path. You just need to be touching one, two, three, you get there. Otherwise, if you haven't got anyone around you, uh, yeah. you lose the space. And, and again, in the program that we do, we find the people there to keep motivating the people and saying, look, you know, keep going, keep going. You're going to get there. Hmm. Um, yeah, I agree with Pumlan. I think staying power is, is, is one thing you need to have, you know, and, and you need to, Believe in the reason you started, like, and believe in yourself. Because I think 
when you're starting out and, and when hard times come, that's when you question things and you're like, but it doesn't make sense. And, and you have to look at your peers. Your peers are doing 10 times as well. You know, they're in corporate. They've got secure jobs. They know on the 25th that SMS is coming. You know, they're driving the latest cars. They're traveling and you have to be like, okay, that's not for me right now. Yeah. And I think, um, it's very important to cut down when starting and, and just put your head down and work. Hmm. It's, it's work. You you can't be lazy. You're not gonna even if you employ people. If your work ethic is not great, they're not gonna have a great work ethic because yeah. they're gonna learn from the leader. So you need to be that great leader and lead by example. When do you stop? When 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 do you decide that this idea will just not work and I need to move on to the next next biggest idea? Because it it, it can be very yeah. tricky and yeah. challenging yeah. Yeah. because yeah. just when you let go and someone is like. I recognize and I want to be part of, but now you've already let go. So, but how, how do you decide that? So I think that's also part of, uh, when you, so if you've done design thinking, there's, there's the, you have to question your market and test, validate your idea and all of that stuff. So during that whole entire process, at some point you are getting those no, there really isn't a market for this. You, you know, if you've done your proper research sure. and, and with that, sometimes it's not maybe just letting go of the idea. It's maybe shelving it for another time. Okay. Or maybe saying, okay, how do I pivot? And, and now, cause you've spoken to your customer, maybe they like, uh, I don't want this, but I want this. Yeah. Now you, you're starting to think, oh, okay, maybe other people might want this. And then you pivot and, and you change. But I think you, you want to fail fast and fail forward. Fail quickly, <laughs> dust yeah. yourself up and, and start again. You sure. know you don't you don't want to stay and retain something that's not working. You, you got to be adaptive, and I think entrepreneurs. What often happens? Entrepreneurs they come and say, "I'm selling these black headphones, sure, and I'm going to sell black headphones to everyone." And the market kind of tells you, "We want transparent headphones," and you're not listening because you want to sell this thing. The next guy says, "I want red transparent headphones." You're not listening because you got this idea. So one of the things about entrepreneurship is being able to adapt to realize mm, that this mm, idea mm, is mm. not working. Okay, I need to go back. Either rethink it or move to something else. Hmm. And I'm thinking most entrepreneurs they struggle with that concept because you know you've left work, you've put so much money into it, and I want to make this thing work, but this thing is not working. But at some point you gotta realize this is not working. I gotta move to the next thing because if we keep pushing this, it's not gonna happen. Yeah. But but maybe just to, to, to sidetrack, I mean, you you talked about a question or entrepreneur. How do people become entrepreneurs? And one of the things that we teach is to kind of like say. Uh, Hopefully one day some of us are going to be parents here is to say, what do you teach your kids, uh, in terms of entrepreneurship? And sure. my journey certainly, um, it was one of those things where I think I, I was probably finishing last year of school and my dad kind of said to me, listen, you can go and work, you can live okay, hmm. but you can be an entrepreneur and be wealthy. And I never listened to him for so many years. And I did the route of going to school, uh, going to varsity and doing all this. But something kept nagging me saying, I got to do this thing. Sure. So for me, the one thing is that uh, parents play a very important role. And, and more importantly, the people who come from the townships, when you've done well, you got to go back to those communities yeah. and kind of say, you know, this is what entrepreneurship is about. Because you have a lot of people who have no idea what to do uh, about entrepreneurship. And, and if we leave the townships, uh, who's going to mentor those people in the townships? And perhaps the last thing is, is to kind of say, also my mother, she was very entrepreneurial. At that point, I never thought about it but she would always make jerseys and make dresses and make things and, and sell to supplement but at that time you're growing up you know, you're busy with you, your you're not even thinking about but that. the value of parents and, and also just the mentorship that uh, it's like a it's subliminal mentorship that, that you go through is very important in the life of entrepreneurs uh, that, that we work with yeah. Gee. so because of time last question if you were a uh, president for one day 
what would you change for entrepreneurs in South Africa? And we'll start with Anel. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> thanks for Um I think one thing would probably be tax. Okay. Uh definitely. <laughs> what about tax? Um firstly, I think for the first 3 to 5 years of entrepreneurship, uh entrepreneurs shouldn't be taxed. Or if they they are there needs to be a tax relief. I okay. think and for me I personally I think that's one of the biggest hindrances um that uh entrepreneurs experience as <laughs> as Lynn mentioned, you come back and you have like this huge tax bill, you know, and you're still getting when do you reinvest? Sure. So I think that's what I'd do. Okay. For, for me, I would say it's dissemination, dissemination of information. And I'll give okay. you a simple example. Sure. The bread industry is a simple thing. We have spies shops that order 10 loaves a day sure. uh, from a thing. And the price they get, they can never compete. What we've done is to say, why don't you look at the whole township as one market? We will mm. deal with the issues. Now, when you're looking at a market and you're saying these guys are buying 5,000 loaves a day, the price that you get is very different. Although at a smaller level, they're buying 10 loaves each spice shop. But if you're getting 5,000, the price they get is very different. For, for me, it's just... Getting information to the entrepreneurs, it's very critical for them to understand the market. Oh. Guys, thanks a lot uh, for, for coming through as well and sharing that knowledge. Pleasure. And we will put up the, the information to it's, it's www.bhivecapital.co.za yeah. and we've got uh, Yes.co.za. So you, you can go and check it out uh, to our leadership platform listeners. I remember to be part of the conversation on YLP Cliff Central on Twitter and Instagram and um, you can get a hold of me on at Simply Bongani across all social medias. Tell us what you think about the shows. Tell us what you want to hear more. Tell us what issues um, and what kind of guests you, you, you want to have in the forthcoming shows so that we can help you move society. Uh, through leadership from the leadership platform and myself and my wonderful guests. It's good day and God bless for now. This is cliffcentral.com.